1: The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. The London Olympics have been underway for a week, and so far, so good. The threatened breakdowns in the transport system, heavy rain, and terrorist outrages have so far failed to materialise. The crowds have been large and enthusiastic, and there's still a week of sport to go. So what's the midterm assessment, and what could still go wrong or right? Joining me to discuss the Olympics are two of the finest sports writers in the world. They're not allowed to say that, but I will. And both of them happily work for the FT, Matthew Engel and Simon Cooper. Um, If I could start with you, Matthew, uh, you've covered many Olympics. How does this one feel in comparison to all the others?
0: Well, it it feels uh, very strange if you're British, because there's always two Olympics, if you like, part of it is a bubble in that one Olympics is very much the same as any other. Indeed, there is a template for organizing an Olympics which was put in place after the organizational fiascos of Atlanta in 1996, uh, which is why Britain has had to um, pass laws imposed by the International Olympic Committee and has bus timetables based on all kinds of past experience so you have that and on the other hand you have the fact that it is a, a local occasion and takes on some of the character of the locality but although the Londonness of it is unique and the, the, the backdrops we're seeing of of big ben and hampton court and so on is very much part of it on the other hand the behaviour of the locals seems to me to be virtually the same from Olympics to Olympics. Those of us who cover these things say, my God, aren't they parochial? And then when they come to Britain, the British media and public behave just as parochially, uh, as can be evidence from most of today's papers. But there is what you get early on is this amaz- amazing enthusiasm and people wanting to see it. And it's happening in London. And that side of it is lovely.
1: Simon, yeah, I mean, the whole question of uh, universality and parochialism was, was raised for me a bit by watching the Olympic opening ceremony, which got rave reviews here in Britain. Some of it, however, I think a bit baffling to foreigners, the extended tribute to the National Health Service and so on.
2: What did you make of it? I was very moved. I mean, I wrote about feeling a British patriot for the first time, and it presented this whole new vision of Britain. Because we had to move on, obviously, from the idea that Britain was great and unique and a world beater, which is patently no longer the case. And the alternative vision was this declinist idea that we're ridiculous and always going down and the sort of um, comic idea of of a hapless Britain. And I thought Danny Boyle presented this new Britain, which is proud of being funny, proud of being black and white which um, did do some rather notable things in the past and created half the world's pop culture, but doesn't really um, claim to be a great Britain, but just uh, quite a funny Britain. And I think that's a vision that can take us forward for quite a long time. Okay. and as for the
1: sport, for you,
2: what was your uh, personal highlight of the sport so far? Most of the time I've felt a lot of bafflement, and I must admit sometimes tedium at watching sports with thousands of other people who also don't really know what's going on, as in the archery or the handball, for example. I was moved, I have to admit, even as a half-Brit, I was moved by Lizzie Armistead coming second in the cycling for the first British medal of the Games. I was there, and this hitherto completely unknown young Yorkshire woman becomes a national heroine really in, in five seconds. And then she walks into the press conference and she shows out to be a very nice, polite, well-behaved young woman who talks about being a vegetarian because she can't get her head around the idea of eating corpses. So like probably everybody else in Britain, I've been rather touched by this parade of previous non-entities become national heroes, although I'm also slightly sceptical at the nationalist embrace of them. And, and uh, Matthew, what, what have you enjoyed most so far?
0: In in sporting terms, the thing about the Olympics is that you have a, a great deal of stuff that if it weren't in the Olympics, if you took the word Olympic out of the title and it was being staged in your back garden, you probably wouldn't bother to watch it. But the thing that the Olympics should be is a sort of sampler of the sports that you don't know very much about. And we, we, we've seen sort of many occasions in the past when TV has enabled people to see things they, they wouldn't know about. Gymnastics is a huge success in that regard, which was a, a great global TV event 40 years ago, in those early early days of the global village, where everybody saw this was something rather beautiful. In a way, we've moved on a bit from that. We've got the extreme silliness of beach volleyball, which uh, as I said in the papers, is my um, Mildly erotic entertainment, not an Olympic sport. The one everybody talks about is handball because this is a complete non entity sport in, in Britain, hugely popular over much of the continent, and actually it's rather good. It's a game with an awful lot of skills. You have to throw, you have to be a bit uh, brutal, you've got to run, you've, you've got to catch, and it's a lot of guile involved as well. And actually, I think it would be a terrific game for kids, young people to play in gymnasium. It doesn't happen in this country, because we haven't got the right facilities. Unfortunately, since the British team, which has had to be cobbled together, is completely useless, and because we filter most things through the British perspective, uh, it, it almost certainly isn't getting any airplay.
1: What about the inevitable focus on the medals table? I mean, so far it looks like uh, Chinese domination writ large.
0: Well, the perception is that America will catch up in the second week. Uh, The athletics is not China's strong point, and the feeling is still that the US will finish ahead for what that matters. One of the things that I think concerns many of us about China's success and also we see this in the approach of other countries that basically they have targeted sports that are target rich environments where there's a lot of medals to be won. Uh, and we see this in the you, you know you you look at North Korea has won its gold medals in weightlifting and judo. Well, um, if you devote your national resources to that, you're going to win a lot of gold medals.
1: Uh, Simon, I mean the the few hints of controversy so far have tended to 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 be around the Chinese team. There was this scarcely veiled accusation that their star swimmer is on drugs, and then there was the disqualification of the badminton team for not for not trying so they could get a more favourable draw in the second round. Is is there some sort of kind of uh, incipient political rivalry or jealousy sneaking through? or are these perfectly valid controversies?
2: I think they're perfectly valid controversies. I think also at the heart of the Olympics and the origins of the Olympics is the Corinthian ideal. I mean, Pierre de Coubertin, the modern founder of the Olympics, um, loved Britain, was very influenced by the silly 19th century book, Tom Brown's School Days. And the idea of sport is it's, it's not the winning, it's the taking part. It builds character, creates Christian gentlemen. And that's very much been at the origins of the European-British ideal of sport. That's why in football we get very upset when opposing players dive. And a lot of other countries came to sport through a different route. So it's said in Italy, in Italy we have no concept of fair play well, that's putting it a bit strong, but that's rather different from the Corinthian ideal. And in China, they don't really seem to have um, been told about the Corinthian ideal. So we all come at sports in a slightly different way. And I think the Chinese are, are very anxious to prove that they are not the physically inferior beings of Western stereotypes through the ages. So every country experiences the Olympics in its own way. And I fear that the chinese and the british fan experience are just unbridgeably far apart matthew
1: uh i mean one of the other controversies that's been going on is this whole question of ticketing and everybody in, in britain had the impression that it was incredibly hard to get tickets many failed to get them in the ballots and then you see these array of empty seats at events i was lucky enough to be at one of the i think best events so far the tennis uh, where songa got taken to 25-23 in the final set but even that very dramatic game I looked at the court side and there was a block of 100 seats where there must have been three people sitting uh, I assume they were reserved for officials who hadn't showed up but is there really anything can be done about this or does the IOC just command that certain amounts of tickets are set aside and we're just going to have to live with it
0: this does tie in actually to what Simon was saying just before about the British and Chinese experience of being unbridgeably different he's right in a way but in the response to it, I don't think it's unbridgeably different. In, people want a piece of the Olympics when it's near them. They want to be able to say they saw it. They wanted to be part of it. Uh, you, you do you, you, This happens in slightly different ways. Uh, the Chinese um, spent a lot of time photographing each, each other in front of uh, the Bird's Nest Stadium. Uh, the British, I think, want to see the sport um and quite clearly the ticket system has not been robust enough in all kinds of ways uh, i think uh, and i hope this will be the worst thing that uh, goes wrong with this olympics i that uh, nothing truly catastrophic happens in the second week but clearly it hasn't worked properly and there is an issue here not so much with officials but because the olympics is so enthralled to its sponsors that um They have an awfully large allocation of seats intended for corporate hospitality, uh, but you can't do much corporate hospitality uh, at events that no one really wants to see. And uh, there are a lot of problems that uh, the Olympic movement has to deal with and interests they have to balance. And I think here in a country where people really, really wanted to watch something and watch the Games, they clearly haven't got the numbers right.
1: OK, Simon, to finish off, though, uh, it still does seem a pretty successful event. It's not yet clear to me, though, who's going to be the face of the Games in the way that, say, Usain Bolt was uh, at the last Olympics. We've got a week to go. What's what's your betting on who will emerge as the iconic football? Or maybe there won't be one.
2: I think every country has its own Olympics, as, as I was saying, and for the international viewer, if such a thing exists, it might be Usain Bolt again. I think for the British viewer, it might be Bradley Wiggins. So every country will go away with a different memory of it. There is not one Olympics, and, you know, we try and tell the story of one, but everybody tells this very partial story. We can't really help it. Matthew, do you have a a view on that?
0: Simon's absolutely right on this point. Uh, And what has emerged in the past week is that the British are as bad as anyone else. We invite 203 other countries to take part in the Olympics we're hosting and we completely ignore their athletes and we only talk about our own. So, yes, he's right. There'll be hundreds of faces of the game. And if one emerges as the true international face, that will be a success, a sign that we can transcend nationalism. And one thing I would say about the success of the Games is that whatever we think the meaning and success of the Games is at this point, it may well not be the same in two weeks' time when it's all over and uh, the British people start saying, what was that thing we've just paid £15 billion for? Are we sure it was a good idea?
1: Matthew Engel and Simon Cooper, thank you both very much indeed. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.